Amen. You may be seated. This morning we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. I'll read it and then we'll pray. And Christ died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making the appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, I pray that I might be spirit-filled as I teach, that the message might be your message. Lord, I pray that the flock might be spirit-filled, that they might understand your word and that you might give application, Lord, where you want it in individual lives, that together as a church, we might be a church that is obedient individually, Lord, that we might hear one day, well done, faithful servant. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Many times the pastor is the last one to find out when there's a rumbling or there's a grumbling. And many times because we live in this culture that's very self-centered and... uh, even some churches, most churches, taking the idea, we're here just to please you. Uh, people get the idea that if we grumble and mumble, then they'll change things and then it'll be better. It'll be more like we want it to be. But that's not what this church is. This church is here to bring glory to God. But as I talked to my staff and we were praying for you because we love you, we said, well, you know, there's some things. Carl mentioned to me that in a class with Dr. Bill Barber, he said there's like four things that cause church splits and cause problems, and we're not there. We're not, don't, don't be afraid. We're not there. But we also don't let things just go on and not deal with them. And as we come every year to this Sunday, this Sunday when college students in that mission field starts showing up, and all of a sudden you don't get to sit in the chair that you like to sit in, right? You picked it out all summer, and all of a sudden you're having to move over and and uh, it's not comfortable. Why do we have to grow, right? There are some things that cause stress to a flock. That's change in people. We're sending Jason to Scotland with his family. People say, I don't know why he's got to go to Scotland. There's plenty of lost people here. Did the pastor shove him out of here? No, the pastor did not shove him. The Lord called him. I remember when my son David left to go to Germany. Some of his close friends were a little kind of mad, both at me and him and at the Lord. Why? He's our friend. We like what he's doing. Why can't he stay here? There's lost people here. 
Sam left to go to St. George. We brought Carl in. So we have changed the staff more than one. Steve's coming and, and all these wonderful people from our midst that God has raised up, but they're still different. Changing programs. Changed our Sunday school program, looking at changing our youth program. Our college uh, ministry got a new look. Last year, a new ministry added, and people are like, whoa, I liked it the way it was before. What do we have to change it for? I want to talk to you about that this morning. And then a building program. All causes stress because people start thinking, oh, how are we going to pay for that? The Lord will pay for it. He will move his children because when you realize everything you have belongs to the Lord, you're just a steward of it. But God will provide just like he has in the past. 80, excuse me, 34, 84, 34 years ago this week. Seems like 84 sometimes. (laughs) Other times it feels like it just went so fast. 34 years ago this week, Christy and I came to candidate at this church. Little, small, ornery, mean, fundamental Baptist church. And I didn't know that. My dad knew it. See, I grew up just over, over the range over in Wheatland, and so he knew this church. He told one of his good friends, Dr. Bill Barrick, oh, that's going to leave a mark. But he figured I probably needed it, so probably no more, nobody's more surprised except for the people that called me, than him, that we're still here because God had a different plan. It wasn't about me. So many times people have tried to tell me, you know, Paul, you've just really hung in there. Well, the truth is I lacked opportunities. There's a lot of times I would have headed someplace else to do anything else, but nobody knew I was here and nobody cared, and so we just had to hang on. That was God's provision. So here we are. See, I came to the ministry thinking that Born-again believers, the main thing of their life was they wanted to see people come to Christ. You know what I found out? That's not true. A couple things that surprised me is that how quickly somebody can come to salvation and then get into a rut. That really surprised me. See, I grew up in a home that the most exciting thing that happened was hearing about somebody coming to Jesus Christ. It's just the way it is. I think Doug grew up in a home like that too. And so... To come to a place, and having grown up in Wheatland, you grow up in Wyoming, you just figure you're coming to the University of Wyoming. Yeah, this is Wyoming's hometown. And uh, if you don't come here, at least you've thought about it. So when I began to think about the opportunity to come to Laramie, I was excited because I knew this is the center of our state culturally. This is the place to reach young people with the gospel. And so after a couple of weeks, the present building at that time was four blocks from the classroom. I asked people in leadership, where are the college kids? And I was given this answer. Hey, we like our little church. I'm like, what? what does that mean? That means they were comfortable. I remember one of the leaders in the church would come in every week. The offering was taken. He'd sing. He'd sit down, put his toothpick in his mouth, and go to sleep. I'm like, huh, interesting. Later that year, I was told that that he, he came and because and, he knew what I'd say if he said something. Well, my wife says she's not being fed. I'm like, huh, I'm just preaching the word. So I called Pastor Howe, my mentor, my big brother. I said, what does that mean? 
Well, that means you're doing the job because what, what they said was, I found I've had to start studying my Bible at home. I'm like, well, isn't that the point? Creating a hunger, so you have to study your Bible at home. He knew he couldn't say anything because I said, well, wake up. Maybe you might get something, right? And we found some things and we had to deal with some things and pretty soon God began to do a work and he cleaned this place up and it wasn't me, brother. And on, on Easter Sunday, 1987, the last vestige of the Deadwood called up and said, I'm not going to be there this morning. I'm not playing the piano. Now, Chrissy was teaching herself to play the piano. I said, baby, you're on. <laughs> Easter Sunday morning, there we go. But God was doing something. All I knew was to preach the gospel. That morning, there was a graduate student there, and a pretty girl had asked him, hey, it's Easter Sunday, we should go to church. And he said, that's a great idea. She didn't know the Lord, he didn't know the Lord, but they came to our church. Never saw her again, but that young man in the next month came to Christ, and then his brother came to Christ. And over that next year, 200 college kids made decisions to receive Christ as their Savior from 1987, 1988. It was an amazing thing because there was no special outreach, let's reach college kids. There was no special college program. It was just me preaching the gospel. And it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. People were coming, making decisions. We were baptizing people. And then I thought, man, I got to start discipling. And I thought, we'll never get over this. But you know what? It doesn't take long for people to get over the joy and start thinking, what about me? What about me? We have been through that experience. As a pastor, I've been through that more than once in our church. We get to a place and people are, I'm excited about more people coming to Christ and then people that have gotten saved even just begin to feel comfortable. And they don't want this and they're not going to serve and they're going to do this. Charles Swindoll says, every time there's a blessing of the Lord, there's always a mixed multitude that shows up. There's always a rabble that comes with it too, and we've experienced that. People get drawn to the church because something's happening, and they get there, and pretty soon they're saying, well, we're not doing it like we did at my old church. So well, there's a reason. You left that old church, right? But it doesn't make sense to them because they want it to be how they want it to be. That's just natural. That's human nature. Now, remember... There came a time after three or four years that parents started finding out where this church was and they, they thought, hey, let's send our kids to the University of Wyoming. They could be in that church. Good Christian families. And I noticed that things just kind of settled. I'm still in my 30s. I'm going, huh, what's going on here? They were just happy. They've been used to going to church and they were used to not seeing people get saved and they're just used to what they were used to. Comfort, it's, it's, it's human nature. But about that time, God began to work in my heart. We were seeing college kids get saved. How do we reach Laramie? Well, I knew what I did. I coached weightlifting. And so one of the guys that had gotten saved in the college ministry said, hey, why don't you come over and start lifting the high school? I said, they'll let me in the high school? Oh, yeah, they don't pay any attention. So uh, they didn't in those days. And so we started lifting, and pretty soon the uh, basketball coach was getting paid for watching the weight room when he was coaching basketball, and somebody said, hey, you can't do that. 
So he asked me, hey, Paul, got a college degree? Yes, I do. Would you like to be the strength coach? I said, yes, I would. Next thing you know, I was coaching football, and there in the gym, Carl was a junior that first year I was coaching football. And God opened the door for us to be able to get the films, which is an amazing thing. If you know Coach Detai and how he protected those films. So every Friday night, we'd have fifth quarter. And we tell him, we're going to share the gospel. We're going to feed you. And then you get to watch yourself on the film. And we won in those days, so people like watching the film after the game because we actually won football games. And so that was a draw. And so we began, we did that for a few years. It didn't work for long, but it worked. And during that first year also, there was a sophomore who had gotten his life right with the Lord over the summer. His brothers were working with, uh, Na- uh, with uh, um, Campus Crusade at a beach ministry someplace, and he'd gone away a rebellious teen and came home on fire for the Lord, and he informed Coach Detai, I will not be coming to practice on Wednesday night under the lights because I will be going to prayer meeting. And Coach came to me like he often did, okay, preacher, we have to do some missionary work. I said, missionary work? Dumb says he's not coming to practice. Now, if that was a kid that wasn't any good, it wouldn't have made any difference, but God was doing something. And I said, I'll tell you what, Coach, I'll talk to John, you give me the weight room during lunch hour, and I think that'll probably take care of the problem. So I talked to John. He said, that'd be great. So we got in the weight room, and I said, guys, we're not going to have a name. We're just going to be Christians to gather. If you want your friends to hear the gospel, then you tell your friends, and they come. Well, John's a good-looking guy, and the girls found out where the fishing hole was too, and the FCA that we have at the high school was born. By the time my son David was a senior, we didn't really have the fifth quarters anymore because the Christians that were there were actually winning friends to the Lord. And he saw over 40 young people come to know Christ during his high school career. One of them was Aaron Fruit, one of the directors for FCA in the state, our director here in Laramie. And Aaron and David and, and some of the other kids moved up to the university and we began to have a vibrant evangelistic FCA at the university. God is blessed. But one thing that happens to a church, happens to every church, is we get our eyes off the ball. I know it happens to me too. There are so many things that go on with just administration around here where Don says, what about this, Paul? And Carl says, we got to do this, Paul. And, and pretty soon, I'm not blaming them because I'm easily distracted. And so we're worried about everything else except for the main thing. The main thing. Vince Lombardi in 1959 when he took over the Packers came to a losing program. They were 1-10-1. And And he walked in in front of those professional football players. He had a football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And they begin to go over the basics. Coach Detai used to say football is simple. It's running, tackling, blocking because we didn't throw the ball. It's simple, but it's not easy. John MacArthur says, church can be about a lot of things. You know, some churches, they want to be an academic church. We have a seminary, so we have that kind of dispensation maybe to flow that way. People come, they're studying theology, getting all full of theology, and so we can be theological. 
and that's good. We can be just a doctrinal church. Some churches, they're counseling churches. They're just so excited. People have problems. They spend all their time digging in people's problems. And you know what? We need to have biblical counseling. Some churches, they're, they're a church. So that we just want to not have too strong a message because we want to get people in because we've got to pay for things. So just leave the message and just let people be invisible and just let them come, get them a little entertainment. But this passage, Paul points out, what is the main thing? John MacArthur says, there is no confusion in Scripture about the church's mission to be evangelistic. This definitive passage clearly articulates the heart and soul of the church's responsibility as it represents Jesus in the world. God has called all believers to proclaim the message of the gospel. See, there's some churches that are professional churches. I've been in them. They have great preaching, great music. But how you can tell is they have to go other places to get people to serve. When it comes to professional places where you're going to pay somebody, they got to go outside and look for a youth pastor. they got to look for a pastor. they got to look for their people outside because the people are just used to being cared for by the professionals. It may surprise you, but that's the way this church is. Even when the 27 people voted for me, as I mentioned last week, Mr. Ownby said when I preached Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, that God gives gifted men to the church to equip the church so the church will do the work of the ministry. He said, wow, I just, wow, I've never heard that before. I figured we hired it done. Even on a small scale, that can be the problem. And I know it's beginning to be a problem. We, we begin to turn inward saying, what, is, what are people doing for me? And I am not going to do that. You can't ask me to work in the nursery. Last week, I, without even realizing, because my mind was someplace else, I turned up, stirred up a little firestorm because Carl and Valerie have been assigning people to work in the Sunday school, and I made the statement, we don't assign people to ministry. Well, let me just clarify. If you have children in the nursery, if you have children in Sunday school, we're not assigning you to anything other than your responsibility. You know, we have a cooperative preschool that meets during the week and everybody that's in the preschool has to spend some time helping thus the word cooperative they don't pay to go but they have to cooperate guess what that's what we have for Sunday school now every single program we have in the church from the pulpit to the nursery to the Sunday school to the youth group to the college is about the gospel and equipping people not so that you can have a big head and know all the facts. It's equipping you for ministry. And one of the things that we saw in Sunday school is that like most programs in most churches, people are used to dropping the kids off so mama doesn't have to be bothered and she go to church. You know what? That's, that's a good thing. And so we ought to share in that. So you're not the only one that has to be in the nursery. But it sent up a big flag to me when all of a sudden we have this big a church. And normally, remember, you go through those stages where people say, oh, I don't want to go to that church because there's nothing for me to do. All the good jobs are taken, you know. And then you get to this size and people, well, somebody else will do it. Surely there's enough people. Somebody will do it. But the problem is not enough people. The problem is the focus. We've turned inward just a little bit, and this is corrective 
This is to lift our heads back up to what the main purpose of the church is, what the main purpose of you being a Christian is, and that's the evangelism of the lost. Evangelism. Real quickly, we don't have a lot of time. Verse 15, Jesus died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died. Verse 16, he said, listen, before I came to Christ, I knew about Jesus and Paul hated him. He was a terrorist to the church. But now that I'm a believer, I have a total different attitude about the Lord Jesus and what my responsibilities are. He's the master. I'm his loving slave. He has gifted me for a purpose. What is that purpose? Because that, my friends, is the place of joy. Finding that place that you're gifted in serving. How do you do that? By serving. Sometimes you're serving, you find out, well, that's not it. Other times the Lord surprises you and what you had never guessed, you say, I get such joy. During those first days when we had that great influx of young people, college people getting saved, my main discipleship program would have them over to the house. And we had little kids and they'd stay till two in the morning. And we would be tired. Christy after a while said, I'm going to bed. And some of the college girls said, well, we'll just go in there with you and talk to you in bed. So Christy still didn't get any sleep. They just wanted to be around Christy. I understand that. But you know what? We were tired, but we had joy. We had joy. But we get so self-protective. Well, what if somebody asks me to do something and I won't have any more love left or I won't have any more energy left? That's when it becomes supernatural, friends. The next verse says... If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You have a new life. You have new giftedness. You have new focus. You have a new opportunity. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we all, everyone that has come to Christ, every single individual are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making appeal through us. And what is our appeal? We beg you on behalf of, of God, be reconciled. Be reconciled. The word there, deomai, deomai, is to ask for with urgency, with the implication of presumed need. What is the need that lost people have? And sometimes we just kind of forget about it. People, no matter how nice they are, how wonderful they may seem, without Christ, apart from Christ, are the enemies of God. As the enemies of God, they are destined for the wrath of God. And when is that coming? When they draw their last breath on earth, it begins. They're already separate from God. But it's easier for us to say, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Why don't we witness Sometimes it's because we just don't recognize the opportunities and mostly we just want to get along. We bought into the lie of Satan that, that people don't want to talk about politics or religion. The two most important things that affect their lives and so we just want to be polite. 
Bottom line is we like to be liked and we hate to be hated. At least we like to be appreciated. And so if we go sharing the gospel, what are people going to say? They say, well, I want to push away from the gospel. Maybe I don't know how to do it right. And whether or not they come to Christ, when you open your mouth to share, what a, an amazing joy. What an amazing joy. I feel the same way you do. The Apostle Paul said, pray for me that I might have boldness. This is not an uncommon thing. So don't put yourself in a category, well, I'm just not bold like, and then you put me or another pastor or Sam or somebody in that. Well, I'm not bold, so we'll leave that to them. I want to tell you something. You are missing out on the amazing joy of being a part of what God is doing. Yesterday, I was sitting outside having my coffee, the coffee shop, and this guy comes up, looked kind of rough, lots of tattoos, and and uh, not that that's a problem, I don't care. And uh, he said, hey, they serve coffee in here? And he was smoking, and I said, yeah, yeah, they serve coffee in here. Oh, okay. And he was very talkative. He was waiting to go to the, the urgent care, and he'd mess his hand up working, and he's telling me his story, and, and he said, you know, I guess everything happens for a reason. And the Holy Spirit's like, how about a door? Looking for a door? How about a door? Where do you start? Okay, Lord, just open the door. It's open, Paul. I said, well, you said uh, everything happens for a reason. You grow up in church? Yeah, I grew up in church. So I began to explain to him that there is a reason for everything, that God gives us these opportunities. He said, you know, I got, a, I got an uncle that's praying for me. He used to be something, and he got saved, and it just changed his whole life. I said, seems to me you ought to consider that. I said, maybe the reason you hurt your hand is because you talked to me today, and I'm a pastor. And you, maybe you're not a pastor, but because I'm a Christian, I've come to know Christ. And we think that everybody doesn't want to hear, but you don't know. You don't know the hearts of those people that are hurting. They just need somebody to love them. Somebody to say, hey, listen, what's going on? I'll pray for you. He said, well, my name's Jedediah. That's a Bible name. I said, yes, it is. That's a really good Bible name. You know who Jedediah is? That's the name that God gave to Solomon when he was born. And it means beloved of God. I said, you know, God wants to love you. Very simple, was able to, he didn't get saved. But the joy of obedience, because Jesus said, sowing the seed is powerful stuff. It is not enough for me to tell you how to do it. I've got to be involved in it myself. And you know what happens when you get focused on your friends coming to Christ? Your problems don't seem so big. It always had blown me away, even in the beginning, when people be all stirred up about a problem. I'm like, that's a problem? Why? Because I'm looking at the lost people and they're looking at themselves. Well, I don't want to do this. Here's the question. Do you have a passion about the lost? Is there an urgency? Because that's what it says, as though God were begging through you. You know what makes a difference in young people growing up? It's not just their church. Sam preached a message before he moved to St. George when he was still the youth pastor. And he had a picture of Mike Ditka and all the bears on the sideline. He said, everybody know who this is? Yeah, that's Coach Ditka. Who's this guy back in the back? 
don't know who that is. He says, that's me. I'm your youth pastor. I'm not your kids' coach. You are. It blessed my heart when I heard that Fisher Frude, as a kindergartner in first grade, was carrying his little New Testament to school and trying to live out for Jesus. Do you know why he did that? Was that the amazing Sunday school went to? No, that was his folks. I understood that because I grew up in a home like that. That the most important thing, the thing of urgency, is people are lost on their way to hell, and we have this amazing, amazing relationship with Jesus Christ and this amazing opportunity as ambassadors to give them the way out from judgment. And what is that word? Verse 21, he made him, God made Jesus to become sin for us. He knew no sin. He was the innocent, perfect lamb. He made him to become sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What is that? That's the opportunity to partake of the life of God. Now, this is a simple illustration, but, you know, growing up, nobody had to teach me to like chocolate. Isn't that amazing? First time, I don't even know what it was, but somebody gave me a piece of a Hershey chocolate bar. I was, I don't, I don't remember. It happened so early, but I know that I loved it. Why? Because that was in there. That was in there. Well, mom didn't have to sit down and say, now listen, Paul, if you don't like chocolate, people are going to think you're weird. So you better like chocolate. No, I tasted it, and because it was part of my nature, I loved it. When you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, and you see this, sometimes this is new information for people. They say, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was my responsibility. But here's the deal. God just didn't give you eternal life. He gave you his righteousness. That means he justified you, he dressed you in his record of righteousness, which is perfect, and righteousness is a transliteration of an old English word. The Greek word is diakonos, it comes to us as right, wiseness, righteousness, the ability to think and desire the things that God likes the things that God desires, the things that God loves. What does God love? He loves people. He loves people. He said, but I just can't. That's why in almost every epistle, Paul begins with grace and peace to you. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the confidence that you know you're in the right place doing the right thing because that's where God has placed you. And grace is the desire and the ability to be obedient. That's righteousness. That's what God gave you. He gave you this opportunity to be an ambassador. He has given you the words. You don't need to make up your own words. You don't have to talk anybody in anything. Just tell them, this is it. Jesus is not going to count your sins against you. He became sin. He took upon himself the wrath of God. And he offers you his righteousness. Now here's the question this morning, folks. Where's your ambassadorship? Well, what are you talking about? Where is it you are making Christ known? That can be in a Sunday school class, you know that? 
there was a Sunday school teacher that a burden for his junior high boys. Listen, if anybody has a ministry with junior high boys like Jeremy Smith, they are gifted and called of God because junior high boys have the attention span of a gnat. But he got burdened for his junior high boys and one of those boys, the goal in his life was to become a millionaire. And so he was working in an apprenticeship for his uncle working in a shoe store. And that Sunday school teacher with a burden for all of his boys went to that shoe store and found him and led D.L. Moody to Christ. Sunday school teacher. Your ambassadorship is where you're at, where you work, the people you're meeting in school, the people that are around you. You don't know what their heart is. You don't know what their need is, but you can pray for them. And then you can be sensitive to opportunity. And that doesn't mean every time you get a chance to talk, you dump on them the whole doctrine of soteriology. But you walk in fellowship with God and it may be just enough to say, I'm going to be praying for you about that. But what happens when you get asked the question on the answer for? Are you embarrassed? Don't worry about that. It drives you back to the word that you might be equipped. Father, we thank you that you loved us. That you have called us into this amazing, amazing opportunity. You have gifted us specially for where you've placed us. And Lord, you desire for us to know the joy of seeing a miracle of somebody coming from darkness to light. Somebody that we know. And maybe somebody we're just meeting. But oh Lord, as a church, help us never to lose focus on what our main job is. To see the lost come to know you as Savior. And Lord, that we might live our life on that foundation. That everything we do in our church, whatever age, Bible studies, all of that, would be to see people come to Christ and equip people to go that other people might come to Christ. And then we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me and sing, will you please?